How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. The following is an encore presentation of Issues Etc. We hear these terms like critical theory or intersectionality, and sometimes we let them go in one ear and out the other, but they really do, these ideas, these worldviews, really do have an impact on our everyday lives. They are in our schools, they are in the workplace, and they're not just there floating around, they're being implemented. You hear about someone losing their job because they won't take part in a diversity, equity, and inclusion seminar. Well... That's critical theory. That's the result of ideas and worldviews like intersectionality. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Peter Scare joins us to discuss critical theory and intersectionality. He's professor of New Testament and chairman of the Department of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's authored a column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly titled Critical Theory and Intersectionality. Peter, welcome back. Yeah, good to be with you, Todd. The Apostle Paul describes what he calls a strong delusion as part of the downward spiral of sin. What was he talking about? Yeah, I mean, our Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. And the fall into sin begins with deception. And the end of our existence here on earth, the end of the world, when our Lord comes in judgment... We are told by Paul that there will be a great or strong delusion. So it's a great deception that captures the hearts and minds and even closes the eyes to the most obvious of things. And I am of the belief that we are, and I don't have any problems saying that we're coming towards the end of time. And of course, people have thought it before, but we're getting closer and closer. And all the signs are there. And as we get towards the end of time, there's this great deception that's happening. Our Lord says that at the end of time, in some way, things will be normal. People will be buying and they will be selling. They'll be married and given in marriage and all of that. So it's a regular sort of life that will be happening. And our Lord's coming will take us by surprise. But even when our Lord said that, nobody, I think, would have thought that that uh, when people are being married and given in marriage, that there would be two men at the altar and that it would not be thought to be strange in some way. We're living at a time in which drag queens are thought to be regular and normal. It was one thing, we're not in the situation where the emperor has no clothes, that everybody knows that he's naked, but they're afraid to say so. We're in a situation now where Bruce Jenner can pose as a woman, and everyone calls him a woman without even blinking. A strange world in which men are being named women of the year. So George Orwell called it what happens when two plus two equals five. It's one thing to say it with your fingers crossed behind your back, 
it's another thing to actually believe it. And we're living now in a world of incredible self-deception where we uh, don't know even up from down. And this is, I think this is what St. Paul called the beginning of the end. How did the sexual revolution set the stage for the delusions that we see around us in our society? Well, so much of our identity is really wrapped up from the very beginning in the family. So we are automatically, by virtue of our birth and our conception, we are in a relationship with our mother. And natural marriage, which society has recognized always, not just in Christianity, has always been there as a way to bring the father into the equation so that a child might be raised by mother and father. But when you look at our society, and especially since the 1960s of divorce and then cohabitation, and it's gotten a lot worse, now people don't even know who they are. They have no sense of their belonging. I think that's why, for instance, you know, when you look at DEI or you look at any of the kind of movements that have uh, really taken hold among our young people, but everywhere, they're promising a sense of community. So they will say, you know, the transgender community, as if that were a thing. But really, it's a replacement for the family that is lost. And people don't know. When you think about all the things that even that marriage at its most basic does for us, it puts us into a network of brothers and sisters and cousins, uncles, aunts, grandparents. It really does put us into a larger family and in a lot larger context. And now we're at the point where our children really are lost and they're searching and they can't answer the question of really, who am I? What does it mean, as you said a few minutes ago, not only to believe things that are false, but to believe in falsehood? Yeah, I've been thinking about this because, you know, this is a matter of when you look at people who believe in falsehood, if you look at... If you were to do a lie detector test, let's say, upon our culture, they would pass it. And that makes it all the more, to me, frightening or disturbing. It's not simply that we're saying things that we do not believe as if through coercion, although there's a lot of that. We are willingly saying things which are obviously contrary to what we see and what we hear and what we is readily available to us in terms of knowledge. And it's almost as if a switch has turned off in our social mind that we are willing to say things. Here, it's not simply that the child sees it and knows it, it's available to us as well. And it's not that we are, again, even afraid to say things, but we're saying things which are manifestly untrue, that even the smallest bit of reason or perception would turn on its face. So, you know, when you look at the situation now, we get all the services as far as watching TV, Netflix, and Hulu. You know, you find it harder and harder to find older movies. I find the same thing when I go to the library. It's harder and harder to find older books because the past cannot live because people in the past saw things. They readily recognize things to which we are now blind. And uh, I think there's been this movement to keep us from seeing the kinds of things that really are obvious, but they're the things that make up our humanity. 
Dr. Peter Scare is our guest. We're talking about critical theory and intersectionality. How did we get to this point? We'll answer that question next. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Here's an easy way for you to help us cast ChristNet on the Internet. Subscribe, rate, and review the Issues Etc. podcast with your podcast provider. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us reach more listeners in 2024. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God... You're listening to Issues Etc. For 160 years, St. John Lutheran Church Child Care and Preschool has been a congregation committed to bringing Christ's salvation to the people of Fredonia, Wisconsin. We gather to receive the Lord's gifts and His divine service to us each Sunday at 8 and 1030. If you're in the northern suburbs of Milwaukee and looking for a traditionally liturgical church, please join us this Sunday. For more information regarding education or enrollment, Visit us online at stjohnfredonia.org. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press saving Western civilization one student at a time. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces Adopt a CHAP program pairs the Synod's military chaplains with Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregations. These congregations support chaplains through regular communication and prayer. For more information on the Adopt-A-Chap program, visit lcms.org slash armed forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. We're talking about critical theory and intersectionality. Dr. Peter Scare of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, is our guest. How did we get to this point, Peter? Sometimes I think this is... I call it like a multi-headed hydra in the sense that scholars will look at all the various phenomena and tell us not to lump them together, and I guess that's okay. I do like the term woke because it is a religious phenomenon that's happening among us, and it has its own priesthood, and it has its own creed that cannot be denied. And there are many sources. Things don't happen overnight. What we've noticed, for those of us who are of a certain age, so I'm almost 57, to me it is remarkable how much things have changed simply since Obergefell. Within the last 10 years, it's been, you know, it's breathtaking to watch our society 
disintegrate into the delusion. And the very fact that, you know, the very people are choosing their own pronouns and men are competing in women's sports and winning their prizes. Things that would be almost, they would be unthinkable when I was a kid. It's a different world. There's a great book by uh, Carl Truman, and he's a leading evangelical Presbyterian thinker. And he wrote a wonderful book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he maps out historically how we got here. He goes through like all of the thought leaders of the last few hundred years, all of the philosophers and the poets. He talks about the romantics who said that the highest aspiration that we can have in morality is based simply on our wills and our desires. He talks about Freud who sexualized all of human life that made us think that you know, we should think sexually even from childhood, and we've seen that in the transgender movement. He talks about Darwin, who uh, stripped away the idea that we are created in the image of God. It's basically, I think what he says at the end is the main components of our society today would be, you don't have to buy this, but it's, it is uh, worth thinking about, but it's... Uh, the thinking of Marx and Freud, and Marx is about equity. It's built on jealousy and bitterness about those and covetousness about people who have more than we do, so we're going to get what we deserve. And then Freud, who thinks of all of life, and we see this with the LGBT movement and the sexual revolution, thinks all of life simply in terms of sex and sexual pleasure. We're looking through Truman's book and his analysis, and it it's a, it's a very dense read. He's got a simpler version of it. But what struck me, and he didn't make this move, but when you look at the last maybe 300 years of, let's just say, Western culture, theologians don't really matter that much. I mean, we have our favorites, but they're not the ones that are pushing our views of humanity and what we think of ourselves. And the other thing that I think that needs to be reckoned with is whether you're looking at the Romantics or whether you're looking at Darwin or Freud or any of the thinkers that have affected us today, I think it's better to think of them as actually theologians. They are religious figures because they are pressing forward with a different conception of what it means to be a human being. And because they are a part of Western culture, they are really, almost to a man, they are fighting against the Christian worldview. So Freud is quite aware of, when he talks about the father figure and the problems with that, he's quite aware of the idea of God as father. The poets who think of morality as uh, the seeking of pleasure, they're doing it against a Christian worldview. So I think we have to recognize, and this is what it comes out today. When you look at, it's hard for some people to understand. This is why I've always chafed when people say, oh, you're interested in the social issues. You know, I'm interested in theology. And I always say the social issues are theology. I repeat it till I'm blue in the face that to be pro-life is to be pro, tomorrow's the day of the Annunciation. I'm, we're celebrating the Annunciation Christ made his home in the womb of Mary, therefore we are pro-life. 
Christ is the bridegroom of the church, so how can we not be pro-natural marriage? When we talk about who we are in our humanity, we're talking about our creation in the image of God. And what the secular thinkers are doing is undermining that image so that we no longer think of ourselves. I mean, for for Marx, he turned us into a political animal where we're constantly striving only for power. And Freud turned us into simply a sexual animal where we were simply driven by our appetites. And all of these things are degrading to us. All of these things make us less than we were meant to be. And the way I think about this, and I said, you know, we're coming towards the end of time. The end does look like the beginning, so that God created us in his image, male and female, he created us. That's what's being undermined now as we get to the end. Satan is no longer working around the edges. Our Lord says, be fruitful and multiply, and Satan wants as few children as possible, and he wants to kill as many as possible. He gave us marriage, and Satan wants to destroy marriage. He created us male and female, something wonderful and absolutely delightful part of our existence. As we share in our differences and we come together as one, Satan wants to destroy that. One of the things that Christian scholars need to do, and I do think we need it in all of our teaching, is we need to read philosophy and we need to read the past two or 300 years, but not simply as philosophy, as theology, what is happening, because no matter what you say about history, all of history really is a fight between Christ and Satan. All of history is a working out of God's plan of salvation and the devil's work to undermine it and to undermine our humanity. It's an attack upon Christ and an attack upon the Father. So we need to think about these things theologically. Dr. Peter Scare is our guest. We're talking about critical theory and intersectionality. When we come back, we're going to talk about C.S. Lewis, his famous work, The Abolition of Man, and how he, well, foresaw all of this. week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we journey further in Ruth with pious Boaz. Boaz meets Ruth. Ruth learns Boaz is a redeemer, Naomi's instructions, and Ruth's plea. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. 
Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. Lutheracademy.com. We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ the King Lutheran, Billings, Montana. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Boise, Idaho. Hope Lutheran, West Jordan, Utah. Logos Lutheran, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Our Savior Lutheran, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Redeemer Lutheran, Gresham, Oregon. St. John Lutheran, Fredonia, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Indianapolis, Indiana. Trinity Lutheran, Lebanon, Missouri. And Zion Lutheran, Imperial, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, We'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about critical theory and intersectionality with Dr. Peter Scare. In about a half hour, we'll have Dr. James Lee. Lead us in a teaching on the Annunciation of our Lord. Peter, how did C.S. Lewis anticipate our current situation in that work of his, The Abolition of Man? C.S. Lewis is just fantastic. He, he really is a prophet for our time. And the Abolition of Man is prophetic. There's also, he did some fiction along uh, these same lines that illustrated what he was talking about. But really, at the time, he was attacking what was a kind of a relativism. And we might call it moral relativism. It's like, who says that anything is good or bad? It's what you think. Follow your heart. Do what you think is right in your own eyes, because there really is no ultimate right or wrong. What makes his argument all the more compelling, though, is he argues not simply from the point of view of morality, but he talks about beauty. So I guess famously the question is, could you look at a waterfall, let's say, and say that is beautiful? Could you look at a sunset and say that is beautiful? A beautiful woman, a mother giving birth, the things that in life are striking because you recognize the hand of the creator, a design, a symmetry that you recognize. And at the time, he was critiquing what was called the Green Book, which was a way of teaching high school students how to read critically. And critically is really the key word. So sometimes we think it is good to be, quote unquote, a critical reader, whatever that might mean. I don't know. But critically 
in this case means to deconstruct everything so that there's nothing real or good or wholesome or beautiful. This is like when you get to critical theory or critical race theory, it's always about deconstructing. What I think it is, is again, we have the biblical resources, but blessed is he who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. When I look at television, uh, the comedians, when I look at a lot of the books and the movies, everything that comes out, everybody's a scoffer, which is to say, they don't just make fun of human foibles, but almost of humanity itself, including the very institutions around which our humanity finds its meaning. On a most basic level, in the seat of scoffers, it's one thing to kind of make fun of a dad because he's acting like a dad. It's another thing when you make fun of fatherhood in general, as if fathers were useless. It's one thing if you make fun of the clergy because we can be this way or that way or absent-minded, and that's fun. It's another thing when you scoff at the very idea of clergy, at the very idea of a sermon. So things that are wholesome and good. And this is why it's interesting because he begins with simply beauty. Can we say that a waterfall is beautiful? If we can't say that together, well, that's just your opinion. That's what you think. What can we say? And in the end, we can say nothing. There can be no truth because it's just your opinion. When you look at critical race theory, I mean, it gets to be absurd. They even do this to mathematics where a mathematical answer could be simply critiqued as being, well, that's simply the answer given by a mind that came through the Western Enlightenment. But we can't say anything absolutely true about that. So it's everywhere where people are always... It's kind of this gotcha or the debunking mentality. What really bothers me, there's a lot of things that bother me about it, but what I really think it does is it undermines the quality that is most essential in our humanity, which to me is Thanksgiving. In our children, we want to inculcate not scoffing, but Thanksgiving to wake up in the morning and to say, it is a beautiful sunrise. To wake up in the morning, I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm living in a body that was not my own. It's everything that I have in this life is a gift. Never has anybody in human history lived with so many things and been so unthankful for them. So it doesn't matter how cold it is outside, I'm in a heated room and when it gets hot, I have air conditioning and I have light and I have all of these things, but all of these things, there's no thankfulness for them. Instead, it's a constant, this is what happens. It used to happen when our kids would go off to college. You know, the kids would go to college and they would be just fine and they'd come back scoffing, scoffing at the church, scoffing at their parents, how backward they were. Uh, That's the way it was when I was at Notre Dame and I used to uh, joke with the students because the classes were designed to teach us that everything that we learned in Sunday school was all wrong. This is the way it is like with critical theorists though. They always break things down. This is what it is with anybody who wants to make a utopia. They're very good at destroying things. They can go into a temple and they can get out the sledgehammers. They have the wrecking crew. They can destroy the family. They can destroy fatherhood and motherhood. They can destroy whatever kind of history that we live through, 
but they could never tell us then what are you replacing it with? What is the substitute? And that's that's the nature of again the kind of critical that C.S. Lewis. It's always a breaking down of things, never of building up, and it leaves people in such a bad way because instead of living lives of thankfulness and just appreciate, you have to have appreciation every day. Thank God for the rain. Thank God for the sun. But appreciation is all lost, and now it all becomes resentment and bitterness, and that's no way to live our lives. You mentioned critical theory. What is it, and where did it come from? Well, critical theory, it comes from any number of places, but really it's an offshoot of Marxism. Karl Marx divided in the, wor- the world into the haves and the have-nots, and he thought of the world as a constant struggle. And that's the world we're living now. It's a constant struggle where everything is political. Everything is a revolution. Our children are being taught, well, what do you want to be, Johnny? (laughs) Would you like to be maybe a scientist? Would you like to be an athlete, a poet? No, we teach them to be activists because you must engage in the struggle. And the way it's affecting our society today really goes back to Antonio Gramsci, who was a, he was a communist. He was put in jail. Now, St. Paul did great things from prison. Gramsci was put in prison, and you can get his prison notebooks off the internet. I made the mistake of downloading them one day because I was kind of curious, and I think 900 pages later, I mean, I don't like used all the paper that we had. You can read them on what he wrote, And what he said was, if we're going to move the revolution forward, it can't be simply upon economic lines. So, you know, Marx was disappointed that the revolution didn't work because it worked in, or at least it succeeded, I should say, in Russia. But he expected it to succeed in Germany and the United States. But it didn't because people were too satisfied with what they had. They liked the lives that they had. They liked the economy. They liked having a home to live in. So it just didn't succeed like they wanted it to. And Antonio Gramsci, what he decided was what we need to do is work from within. We need to take over the institutions, including you know, mass entertainment, obviously the government, the schools, They took over the colleges long ago, and now we're watching as they've completely dominated in our high schools, our public schools, and even now we're seeing also in our church schools. This critical theory, that's how it it was Gramsci's vision to take over all the institutions. And then the biggest institutions, the most important ones he wanted to take over, are the family and the church. They've been largely successful in the destruction of the family, but also in the taking over of the churches. And in this critical theory, it was advanced by a school called the Frankfurt School, which came from over from Germany and went to Columbia University. And I found an essay by Max Horkheimer. It was fascinating. It was called Authority and Family, and he was one of the leading critical theorists of the day. And he went after the family because he said, quote, the family is the authoritarian state in miniature. So that if there's an authoritarian state, what we've first got to do 
is deconstruct the family and deconstruct fatherhood if we're going to have a revolution. And really, we could take this one step further. First of all, if we want the government to be all in all, to have this, you know, this new system, we've got to get rid of the family because the family is, it is a competitor for the allegiance of our people. But also we've got to get rid of God because our ultimate allegiance must be to the state and it can't be to the God of, and it's always not just to God, but it's to the Christian God. So, I mean, it's really a form of Marxism that has come into our society, no longer simply based on money. I mean, Marxism is based on dividing us, and it divides us according to race or according to sex or gender. I think the key is, is <laughs> I was watching a TV show the other day, and it was hilarious because they were talking about whatever, the, this prince who uh, gave up his uh, position and moved to California. And it talked about how he wanted to make a new brand for himself. And the key to making a new brand or the key to identifying yourself is to make sure that you're known as a victim. It really is a search for victimhood. And that's, you know, that's what Marxism was. It was the workers who are the victims, the proletariat against the manufacturers. And so it is today. And victimhood is wonderful because it fosters resentment and anger, and you're willing to do anything in order not to succeed, but to get at those people that you feel are oppressing you. So this language of oppressor and oppressor, oppressor and the one who's oppressed, all of that was Marxist according to the economy, and now it's simply taken on a cultural component as Gramsci wanted. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking to Dr. Peter Scare about critical theory and intersectionality. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March is Jesus Said What? It's a treatment of the difficult sayings of Jesus from the four Gospels. You can find out more about this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order Jesus Said What? 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. We'll talk about intersectionality next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. A bequest allows you to receive an estate tax charitable deduction and reduces the tax burden on your family. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Welcome back. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Peter Scare is our guest. We're talking about critical theory and intersectionality. So, Peter, we haven't talked about this yet, intersectionality. What is it and how is it related to critical theory? Well, intersectionality, it began with Kimberly Crenshaw and the idea, I mean, not every idea in and of itself, there's some truth in it. So, I think she was dealing with like factories in Detroit, something like that, where they'd ask the question, like, how are, you know, women faring in this environment? Well, they're okay. How are black people faring? Well, okay. How about black women? Well, there's a problem. And, you know, there's a point to this that we're, we have different identities and we have different kind of a mix of who we, who we are. But the way it's been used is the key is to have as many, it's like a social scoring system. And in this social scoring system of intersectionality, the best thing is to get as many victimhood points as possible. So it's better to be a woman than to be a man. It's better to be a person of a different race than it is to be a white person. And maybe you get negative points, I guess, maybe for being Asian. It's better to be homosexual than it is to be, as they say now, heterosexual or cisgender. So intersectionality, it's a grievance culture. What they used to call this at the universities, I don't know if they still do, it was kind of laughed at, grievance studies. Like you go to school and you find out all the reasons you should be aggrieved because of all the reasons that you have been oppressed. So it's a way to accumulate oppression so that you can claim a kind of higher status. And that's where intersectionality comes in. In some ways, it can be humorous to watch if it weren't so sad because intersectionality clashes as to who's the greater victim. So feminists will complain now, and I suppose rightly so, that women are being cast aside or somehow thought to be less than men who claim to be women. There was a great picture. I saw the video of Drew Barrymore. She was on her knees offering like thanksgiving and humility to this man who was dressed as a woman because he, she wanted to show how thoughtful she was and 
what great oppression this very wealthy man who had made a ton of money dressing up as a woman but now that's an elevated status so intersectionality is about really now the worst thing you can be and I think this is the point that really needs to be made is the worst thing you can be of course is a white and male a white male but also included in intersectionality is to be a Christian and it comes up everywhere because Christianity is and it's often called you know the dominant religion of the white man no history can be written anymore about let's say the founding of America because it's always the evil Christians who have come to subjugate the Native Americans who were living somehow in peace and harmony and you know never hurt each other or hurt a fly and they were great environmentalists and all of that that's intersectionality how do these ideas form essentially a secular religion yeah it is a religion because and you know it's a religion because the dogma is not allowed to be questioned you must confess your sins and if you deny your sins it only shows you what a greater sinner that you are and it's really frightening in the sense that not frightening I don't know what the word is but disconcerting there was a great article that I read about the death of the Catholic University and if you look at the Catholic universities there was a land of Lando Lakes declaration in the 1960s and the American Catholic universities say now we're going to be free from papal control and we will pursue scholarship not according to any kind of dogma from Rome but according to our own free inquiry of course since that time the Catholic universities have all become secularized what's interesting though is that while the dogma of the Catholic Church has no sway in those institutions the dogma of DEI diversity equity and inclusion cannot be questioned that is the thing which governs all of our universities and it's a danger uh, we've seen this happen at the Catholic schools, certainly Notre Dame but really every Catholic school except for the very small ones and it's taken over the evangelical colleges as well Wheaton and all the major ones have uh, really fallen by the wayside because they fall into this ideology and it's an ideology which is inimical which is an enemy to the Christian faith now they have their own gurus like any religion they have their own gurus their own spiritual leaders now maybe this is changing a little bit I mean I do think a person like Ibram X Kendi I do think that these people kind of wear thin because we get these ideologies are such thin gruel that I don't know if they will they will can last forever like Robin DiAngelo and white privilege but they have their own clergy they have their own confession their confession of sin so that you bring in diversity officers even into Christian institutions which is just unbelievable to me and they will be the judge and jury about whether a person has committed a sin in the name of equity or in the name of intersectionality so it's a very dogmatic tradition it cannot be questioned and it demands submission and the other thing is it overrides everything else so I kind of even wonder at a Christian University are even in a faithful one that it's Orthodox 
would it be more dangerous to say or more politically incorrect to say, I think Black Lives Matters as a group is a scam? Or would it be more dangerous to say homosexuality is a great sin against humanity or even to call it sodomy or something like that? Basic truths of the Bible will get you in a lot more trouble, even at Christian universities, than will going against the dogma of the diversity, equity, and inclusion protocol. So just for an example, what is wrong with critical theory's response to the sin of racism, so-called critical race theory? Yeah, the thing is, is this is, in some ways, this is the dagger aimed at the heart of confessional Christians, because there's this desire to be on the right side of history. That's the gay marriage thing, be on the right side of history, not on the right side of what God has said or the right side of eternity. But you want to be on the win winning team. And as Christians, it's very difficult to be on the team of, let's say, gay marriage because it's so obviously wrong. And yet, yet that is being underplayed. So the Southern Baptist president said we ought to whisper about what the Bible whispers about and shout what it shouts about. When the Bible appears to whisper when it comes to sexual sin compared to it shouts about materialism and re religious pride. What they want to do is to say we should be quiet when it comes to sexual sins, but we still can't. You know, it's very hard for, let's say, an evangelical or a faithful in any Christian school to say, okay, we support gay marriage. But we can try to get on, or we attempted to get on to the Black Lives Matter train. Now, the problem is, is many people are fooled because when you look at this movement, in critical race theory, it has nothing to do with Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision of equality. Because Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision was based upon the biblical idea that we are all created in the image of God. He built upon the political ideas that are found in Jefferson and in the Declaration of Independence, that we are born with certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness sort of thing. So that idea, whether Jefferson was a Christian or not, that idea, though, is a very Christian idea that we're created in the image of God, and because of that, we have dignity. That was the vision of Martin Luther King Jr. When you look at critical race theory, though, it is instead built upon resentment and the word equality is no longer the governing word. The word is equity. And equity sounds a lot like equality, but equity is the language of Marxism because equity is predicated upon the idea that of equal outcomes. So Marx always promised equal outcomes even though he never delivered them. Some will always, as Orwell said, some will always be more equal than others. But it's an idea to, you can see it in the symbols. It's not as if they're hiding it. So uh, it's not the symbol of, you know, one hand and another hand walking together in harmony or in friendship. It's the symbol of the raised fist. And, you know, I would invite anybody to read. First of all, none of this comes out of Christian thought. But I would invite everyone to read. Ibram X. Kendi, because he is the godfather of the 
critical race theory the way it is today. And he says over and over again to be, and he, he leans heavily on intersectionality. He says to be pro-black means to be pro-gay, to be pro-queer, to be pro. And he also says to be capitalist is to be anti-black because they are part, he sees them as part of one ideology. And that's the way it's spread also among us. So he says capitalism is essentially racism. Racism is essentially capitalism. It's a very mean-spirited kind of a thing. Now, he does say the only way to combat inequality is more inequality. And it's a system based on power. It's a system based on quieting your opponents instead of actually building things up. And then it's become popular, I think, through, uh, I can't tell you how many church groups that I've seen that have used, for instance, Robin DiAngelo's book, which was White Fragility. And it's really, I mean, she offered a class at Coca-Cola and she was telling the employees that they would have to learn to be quote unquote, less white. The thing about this, there are ways of detecting this, by the way. Do you really want to help people out, no matter what their color? Ask yourself this, at least I do, is that are they actually offering the kind of wisdom that would help people? And by that I mean, what, do, what would you do or where would you go, no matter who you are, where you grew up in the country, what color you were, male or female, anything like that, what would you do if you wanted to be a success? You know, I think we have a lot of analogies that are still alive today. If you want to be successful in, let's just say, the NCAA tournament, if you want to win the tournament, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to practice. You're going to have to get in shape. You're going to have to be fit. You're going to have to not go to bed at 3 in the morning if you have practice at 6 in the morning. You've got to do all sorts of things in order to be successful. But is the wisdom, let's say, that you would find in the book of Proverbs, is that being offered? Or is it self-considered to be, there was an incredible display at the Smithsonian Institution about what was considered to be examples of whiteness. And they included the ideas that hard work would make you successful, the idea of being on time, the idea of rational or constructive thought, all the kinds of things. They're not teaching people the things that actually would make their lives better. The thing is, when you look at terms, things completely in terms of race and where people are, it's such a lie because the factors that determine a person's success in our culture, statistically, this is true. If you want to be successful in this world, what do you do? Well, you don't have sex before marriage. You get married and you stay married and you raise your children you finish high school or whatever school or trade school and you'll be a success. I mean, it's basically the kinds of things maybe that you'd find in Solomon and the book of Proverbs, the kinds of things that would be popularized by, I'm sure it would be scoffed at now, Ben Franklin of early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, that might be a little simplistic. On the other hand, it's the basic kind of wisdom that a father might teach his son that will actually make a difference in the world, that will actually help people out of not just poverty, but sorrow, 
things like self-discipline, things like hard work, things about honoring your parents. If you're not teaching that, if a Christian school is not teaching that, if a group that's claiming to be for racial equality, if they're not teaching the wisdom of Solomon, then I know something else is going on. And usually what's going on is simply the fostering of resentment and anger. Finally, make the case that Christianity is not just a superior way of understanding our world and one another to critical theory, but in fact, is the proper response to it. About a minute. I would say the Christianity, and this is twofold. One is a recognition of we are all sinners and we're all in need of forgiveness and that Christ has died, not simply the sins of the past, but for our own sins. So it's not, I mean, when you, we're raising a generation that is, they're raised to think that their fathers and grandfathers were great sinners and somehow they are not, that they are more righteous because they are woke. They have a better understanding. What needs to be brought down upon them is the law that they themselves are often the cause of their own problems and that they need to do better, but also that Christ has forgiven them and shown a better way. And also then to get back to the basics of our humanity and the basics of our humanity have to do with our identity right from birth, that we are children of God and made children of the Heavenly Father through baptism. I mean, it really gets down to that the family is a good thing that we have to work for, that fatherhood is something to strive for and to make honorable. There's a great difference between the motherhood culture and the abortion culture, that uh, there's a difference between living for my own pleasure and uh, honoring marriage for the sake of children and living for others. What we're talking about ultimately is human flourishing, and we do flourish as human beings more as we live according to, now we're always going to be sinners, but live more according to the ways that God has shown forth for us as we see in Christ, but also in his good creation. And that's what we're striving for, not that we hope to attain salvation by that, but simply because we know he loves us, we know his word is truth, and there is a better way. That's the point. There is a better way. Dr. Peter Scare is professor of New Testament and chairman of the Department of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's author of a column for the Concordia Theological Quarterly titled Critical Theory and Intersectionality. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at CTSFW or by calling 1-800-481-2155, forming servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Peter, thanks. Yeah, thank you. We will be talking about the Annunciation of Our Lord, celebrated by the Church on the 25th of March with Dr. James Lee of Concordia University, Chicago, after the break. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. 
I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends His Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3 on Sunday afternoon, February 4th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 4th.